This is the Stanford's podcast at the Stanford's Travel Writers Festival at Destinations in Olympia. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome to the stage, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ben Kane. Let's give him a big round of applause. Here he is. Check that out. Thank you. Morning. Am I switched on? I am. Morning, everybody. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you to, to Dan, to Zoe, to Joe, and Aled here at Stanford's Travel Bookshop for inviting me to speak here at such a prestigious event. It's not every day you get to look like a complete fool with so many people watching. In case you're wondering, I'll give you a better look. In case you're wondering, and I sincerely hope that you are wondering what I am wearing, I am dressed as a class of legionary that would never have been seen in Britain during the period of Rome's occupation. Thanks to TV, we're all used to seeing red tunics and plated armor like this. However, you only have to think of British redcoats fighting the Americans in the American War of Independence compared to British soldiers in World War I or II to realize that equipment changes with time, and so do weapons. So I'm dressed as an Hastatus, which was a class of legionary uh, when Rome fought the Punic Wars against the city-state of Carthage in the third century BC. Because of my age, I'm in my 40s, I really shouldn't be dressed uh, in this uniform. I should be dressed as a triarius, one of the veterans. And I should be wearing this male shirt. But I did wear it uh, on a charity walk in Italy, and that's what I'm going to talk to you about. So, as you know, my name is Ben Kane, and in no particular order, I'm an Irishman, an ex-veterinary surgeon, and a best-selling author of historical, historical fiction set in ancient Rome. An odd mix, you might say, and you'd be right. Ireland, you see, doesn't have the rich Roman history that Britain does. The Romans never sent a military force to Ireland, let alone occupied it. And that explains the reactions of my family and friends in Ireland when I announced that I was going to write books about Romans. They looked at me as if I was insane and said, Romans, why wouldn't you write about the Vikings? Another thing, veterinary medicine is a very narrow area of expertise, one that doesn't lend itself to writing fiction. Why didn't I write cute and fluffy animal tales, a la James Herriot, you might ask? And the line I love to say, answer with is from a chap called James Robbins, who is an American best-selling thriller writer and ex-vet. And when his clients asked him why he wasn't writing James Herriot fluffy tales, he said because there wasn't enough killing in his books. So much that I'd love to talk about um, how I came to be a best-selling author. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to talk about um, a Roman walk I did uh, in Italy, wearing full Roman gear. But I will first mention a few things to you that might make you understand why I, I write books set in ancient Rome. I was born in Kenya and spent my first six years there as a child. I grew up in a household without a TV. I used to read incessantly when I was a boy, history, historical fiction, and fantasy. When I was applying for university, I put history second to veterinary medicine. 
I have the travel bug quite badly. I've bought a lot of books in Stanford's bookshop over the years. In the course of going to almost 70 countries, I have journeyed alone on a large part of the ancient Silk Road through Iran, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Western China, and Pakistan. I've driven a camper van 20,000 miles around America and Canada. I've spent a year in Central and South America and visited Antarctica. I've island hopped across the Pacific, worked in Australia and New Zealand, and last but not least, I once took an Asia Peugeot 306 by ferry from the UK to Scandinavia and Iceland. And so to the Romani walks, as we call them. The first one in, uh, was along Hadrian's Wall in 2013, and it came about like this. Late 2012, I had given up veterinary nearly four years before, and the tough exercise regime I'd told myself I would have in place was non-existent. I was sitting on my bum Monday to Friday, writing, tapping away on a keyboard. That was the only exercise I was getting. I realized, I chewed on two unhappy facts. One was that I wasn't getting any younger. Two was that my waistline was getting bigger, not smaller. So I decided that something had to be done. And that something would be walking Hadrian's Wall. And uh, in order to make it relevant to my new job, I decided that I would walk it in full Roman kit, including hobnail boots. These are the hobnail boots I walked Hadrian's Wall in, proper hobnail boots. Um, everybody is probably thinking, I thought the Romans wore sandals. Well, they did, but they also wore boots. These are based on a pair that were found in a legionary barracks, so in other words, a foot soldier owned them in Germany. If you had enough money and you were unlucky enough to be stationed in Germany or Britain on Hadrian's Wall, you'd wear a pair of these, not a pair of sandals that lets the mud in onto your toes. To make the, the idea in some tiny way normal to other people, rather than bark at the moon insane, I thought I'd better do it for charity. That, I decided, would be a good thing to add to my something. So one night soon afterwards, I, I applied two author friends of mine, Anthony Richards and Russell Whitfield, with rather a lot of beer. And then I asked them if they wanted to join me on the walk. And they said yes, without even batting an eyelid. Uh, to be fair, Tony wasn't completely naive. Two years before, he had walked most of Hadrian's Wall dressed in Roman gear. Russ, on the other hand, who agreed to wear this, had no idea at all. So the next morning, I announced our plans on Facebook and Twitter, and I did that because then I couldn't back out without looking like a complete loser. As the hangover wore off, the grim realization of what I'd let myself in for began to sink in. Five months into the future, I was going to have to walk 15 to 18 miles a day, wearing two and a half stone or 16 kilos of armor. So I started going for walks three times a week around my home in Somerset. And over the following couple of months, uh, I bought all the equipment and shoes and weapons that I needed. So eventually I could go out dressed like an astatus. Now, you don't see too many Roman soldiers tramping the lanes of anywhere in England, let alone Somerset. So, of course, I started getting lots of comments. The usual one was, have you lost your legion, mate? Uh, another one was, are you one of the 300? And to which I would resignedly say, no, they were Spartan. I'm a Roman. And, and so on. Apart from the amusement I was causing, I found that walking in the kit uh, was, it was actually quite good fun. And you get very fit wearing that amount of gear. It's also very useful in teaching you what it's like to wear the equipment, what it feels like, what it sounds like. 
And as the money started coming in, because I was raising money for Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, and Combat Stress, who help uh, veterans with mental health issues, £1,000, £3,000, £5,000, I started to realize that it was possible to drum up rather large amounts of money just by being eccentric. So I thought, game on. So we hit the trail in late April 2013, and I'm going to show you just a few images from that walk now. Okay, so you can see that. So that's the transition from left to right when all I had was a shield and a helmet. That helmet sitting there, most, again, most of you would think, what on earth is that? Well, legionaries in the Second Punic War against Hannibal are attested as having worn helmets like that with three black feathers on top. So day two of the walk on Hadrian's Wall, we came out of Carlisle. That's a bridge over the M6 motorway. And so we thought, oh, we'll stop and we'll wave at the cars. And we were waving and, hey, look. And there were people beeping at us and flashing their headlights. And almost simultaneously, the same thought went through all of our minds. Perhaps it isn't a wise idea to be distracting motorists on a busy motorway. And you could see the local newspaper headline. Authors walking for charity cause multiple car pileup. So we rapidly moved off that. This photograph, I, th I think, says it all about what it might have been like to be a soldier on Hadrian's Wall. Uh, that, there was a hailstorm shortly after the motorway bridge. Three of us dived into the ditch, and there wasn't enough room for Russ, so we kept him up in the field. He looked pretty browned off. You can see the hail on his cloak, the expression on his face, what it must have been like if you were a soldier from Italy or Spain or North Africa and you were posted to Hadrian's Wall. This is the funniest moment of the entire walk. You probably can't see it, but there's a tiny little blue pot being handed from one to the other there. I'll say to you three things about marching long distance when you're wearing a skirt. Chafing, uh, underwear, and a need for lubrication. So the little blue thing is a pot of Vaseline. And I, I was wearing cycling shorts. I'm not anymore. I'm a purist. I wear Roman underwear now. But I was wearing cycling shorts that walk. And Russ and Tony weren't. And they needed... To, to lubricate the parts that were chafing. So they were literally falling over with laughter as they were doing this. I was standing facing them with my back to the road, and in slow motion, as Russ stood up and turned around and looked behind me, he literally collapsed with laughter because a bus full of tourists drove by really slowly, and they were all looking out the window. And they missed the Vaseline moment by about five seconds. But as, as Tony said immediately, we're going to tell this joke for the rest of our lives that they, they went by as we were doing it. You've probably been up to northern England to see Hadrian's Wall. If you haven't, you will have seen it on TV. It's absolutely stunning scenery if you get the weather. And we were lucky. We had three days of sunshine. Uh, this is not an observation on British behavior. In the picture, what is, because um, I'm Irish, as I mentioned, is the sandwich bar behind me. So this was the last day of the walk, the center of Newcastle-upon-Tyne, five miles from the end of the trail. We stopped to get a sandwich and a cup of tea. Sandwich bar full of people in suits and ties. Uh, and British people are very, very polite. They don't like to sort of comment if there's no reason. So I was dressed like this, stinking with sweat, hobnail boots, which make a lot of noise on, when you're walking. And I walked into and stood in this queue in this sandwich bar. Now, in Ireland, everyone would have turned around and gone, what are you doing? Are you mad? Where are you going? Why are you dressed like that? And those two fellas out there, nobody said a word. It took me 10 minutes to queue up and get my sandwiches like this. 
And everybody was sort of looking at, who's the mad guy with the sword? And uh, it was hysterically funny. And when I got to the counter, I felt the need to say to the guy, we're not on a stag party. We've just walked Hadrian's Wall for charity. That's why we're dressed like this. And he went, all right. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, it was very funny. So... um, what I'm going to do uh, in, a, in a sec is show you a film clip, but we'll just finish off with that walk. We raised nearly £19,000, which was amazing. And after the excitement of that had receded and the pain had been forgotten, I decided that another walk would be a good idea. Unsurprisingly, perhaps, it took longer to win over Tony and Ross this time, uh, but I kept at it until they agreed. And the walk had to be bigger and better, Uh, So I came up with the idea of marching from the Roman Amphitheatre in Capua, Italy, where Spartacus started his rebellion, all the way to the Colosseum at Rome. It's only 130 miles, I said to Russ and Tony. There's there's no walking path, but the roads will be quiet. And as we were to find out, both the distance involved and the way to traffic were to prove uh, problems. Now, because I'd been given so much stick about wearing this on the Hadrian's Wall walk, I volunteered to wear the male shirt. At one and a half stone, or nine kilos, it's only 18 times heavier than this. By wearing it, however, I could portray myself more realistically as a triarius, which was a veteran soldier who would have been in his late 30s or early 40s. The total weight of kit worn by a triarius was in the region of three and a half to four stone, or 22 to 25 kilos. And that ridiculous amount of armor is what I ended up wearing during my training, which began in October 2013. Over the following five months, I walked more than 300 miles around my home in Somerset. I grew fitter, and I learned a new sound, that of the male banging off my bum against the back of the shield, and how that sound absolutely terrified horses. I learned to uh, jump into a a gap in the ditch or, or into a gateway when I saw a horse coming. You can see there the damage that the male does to the back of the shirt, the back of the shield. And yes, I wore the shield on my back. It's the only comfortable way to wear a shield when you've got to march 20 miles a day. I had hoped to find hiking trails in Italy that we could use, but sadly, they don't exist the way they do in this country. Um, So I decided we would be able to walk on country roads. That proved problematical, and so did finding a guide. You try Googling cross-country guide Italy into Google, and you come up with nothing. So in the end, I began contacting guides for Pompeii. And I should add at this point that we decided to film the entire process. What better place could there be than Pompeii to begin our film? I found a chap called Emiliano Tufano, who was a local tour guide for Pompeii and an archaeologist, and he became our fixer and guide, and he got us uh, charitable permission to film in Pompeii, which was great, because if the BBC wants to film there, they have to pay 6,500 euros for one day's filming, but we were allowed in for less than half that. Almost a year to the day from the end of our Hadrian's Wall walk, we flew to Italy, me, Tony Russ, and four film crew, and... um, To give you a flavor of the trip, I'm going to show you two clips from the resulting documentary that our film company, Urban Apache, made. Incredibly, Sir Ian McKellen, Gandalf, agreed to do the voiceover for our film, and all courtesy of one begging email. We got to meet him when he did the recording, and all I can say is he's very down-to-earth and an absolute gentleman. So, um, I've got a picture here. 
that proves the point. There he is. And we made him a T-shirt that says Vox Primus, which means first voice. And bless him, he put it on for the photo. And uh, now we're going to show uh, a film clip of the first beginning of the film. Thanks, Alan. In 2013, three historical fiction authors, Ben Cain... There's a slave down at Vesuvius. Anthony Riches... Oh, it's just historically funny. There are still so many cameras pointing at us. And Russell Whitfield... I'm Sergeant Bill Coe of this particular little band. ...walked 80 miles along Hadrian's Wall wearing ancient Roman armour, raising over £15,000 for charities Combat Stress and Médecins Sans Frontières. Now in 2014, they have decided to travel to Italy and tackle one of the oldest Roman routes, a 130-mile walk from the amphitheatre in Capua to the Colosseum in Rome, along the original Roman highway, the Via Appia. This seven-day trip will challenge them both physically and mentally. Yeah, it's what it is what it is, uh, uh, is the kind of expression I've been using to, um, to cope. And will give them a unique insight into the lives and abilities of the ancient soldiers whose worlds they recreate. Authors and friends Ben Kane, Anthony Riches and Russell Whitfield are in the final stages of training for a once-in-a-lifetime, physically gruelling seven-day walk across the Italian countryside. Their journey will take them from Capua, just north of Naples, across 130 miles of varied Italian landscape, arriving finally into the capital and the most iconic location of the ancient Roman world, the Colosseum. Here we are on a training day for the Romani Walk 2014. The three of us, Russ Whitfield, Ben Kane, Tony Riches, and it's just two weeks until we fly to Italy to walk a stupid length of road uh, between Capua and Rome. We're uh, kitted out in various uh, arrays of Roman armour, as you can see. Uh, training's been going fairly well for most of us, I think. So what we're going to do, we're going to wander through these woods, Broxbourne Woods, and just generally getting used to, uh, to how we do it. Who's that squeaking? That's me squeaking. There was no sneaking up on the enemy. We just met a couple of horses on the track and are completely unused to the appearance but also the noise of Roman soldiers. So two horses, one of them is really big and they've nearly thrown the riders. And they want to be able to walk into the Colosseum to swooning tourists who will give us hundreds and hundreds of euros uh, in donations for charity. It's going to be, it's hard, you know, we've got experience of doing this and there'll be good times and, uh, and, and some bad times and probably a lot of complaining as we, as we go along. <laughs> but, you know, it, it seriously isn't a good cause, so, yeah, let's crack on. We picked two charities, Medicine Sans Frontières, because I can remember as a child when there was a conflict or a war that would start on the news. You'd, you'd hear that Medicine Sans Frontières were in there. And one another thing that I, I remember is that when Medicine Sans Frontières had pulled out, you could tell that things were really, really bad because they pull out after government or other non-government organisations after all the diplomats have gone. They literally pull out when their people are being shot at. So they they are, you know, putting their their lives at risk to help people. And combat stress, they support soldiers with uh, mental issues, and we all write books about soldiers. So 
I have a huge sympathy for service people who come back from conflict zones with, uh, with problems like that. I'd previously walked for Help for Heroes. That was the only charity I was aware of. So I looked up combat stress, formed in 1920, mm. um, which kind of gives the lie to this thing, that, oh, you know, we never got that kind of thing in the First World War, Second World War. Of course they did. Um, I think it's a hugely appropriate charity. Ben, Tony and Russell all write historical fiction set in ancient Rome and focus on life in the military in their chosen Roman period. This makes the trip valuable, not just for the opportunity to support two such important charities, but also as a piece of experimental archaeology. As a start to the trip, the authors are visiting the ancient Roman city of Pompeii. On the 24th of August, AD 79, the volcano Mount Vesuvius, towering above Pompeii, erupted depositing over a million tons of volcanic ash onto the city, leaving it preserved and undiscovered until the 18th century. Emiliano, the author's Italian guide, is an archaeologist and Pompeii tour guide. He gives them an insight into life in the city 2,000 years ago. Pompeii was a provincial commercial place. Mm. Yeah. And then there were also uh, uh, vacation estates along the coast, you know, but not just here in Pompeii, all, uh, all, all over the Bay of Naples. Uh, mm -hmm. So would the rich people here then not, not be patricians, but more rich new, new men, yeah. businessmen that have made good, and, and they, because it's, close, because it's a business hub, they then build their flash houses right, right near where they work kind of thing? See. Correct. Penis. <laughs> and no trip to an ancient Roman city would be complete without a trip to the Lupanar, or Wolves' Den, a place more commonly known today as a brothel. There's graffiti in there, which, uh, when it's translated, uh, Emiliano was saying it says, I f here. <laughs> Nothing changes. Isis was particularly popular because she promised the afterlife, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the lower classes, Chelsinus, you know, the Mary School, the former slave. Former slave. Loved Isis because she, she, she promised another life after mm. We're in the Temple of Isis. It's a really um, spiritual place. I'm quite, I'm quite surprised. It's got quite a stillness to it. And I would have loved to have seen this when they first dug it out because it must have been absolutely magnificent. You can actually see the feet. Yes, his face. But look at the size of him. Well, the average, we know that the average soldier was five foot six, so... The noise must have been phenomenal. Yeah. Can you imagine being, how terrified you'd have been? Like, yeah. What have we done? Yeah. And the sky went black very, very, very quickly, and it went completely dark. And it started raining, raining small stones. Yeah, yeah. and that got worse and worse and worse. Because about 60% of them or 70% of them fled. Yeah. If you got out within the first four or five hours, it was... You were okay. You were all right. But after that, by the next morning, everybody was dead. So behind me is the, is the Doric temple. Some of the decorations would lead me to believe um, that it's a temple of Athena. It's a real special place for me. It, uh, one of the books that I wrote, it's, uh, the main character is a priestess of the goddess Athena. So I really wanted to come here and uh, check it out. I don't know how it'll feed through into my writing, but I know it will because I've seen it and felt it the way, the way, it, the way it was. Actually, 
been really, really good. As a, mm. as it's been a, a fantastic eye-opener. I so agree. That's, that's how I felt too. Mm. So I knew, okay, we will do it, we're here. But having you wouldn't lived it, it would you? wouldn't have missed it now, mm. no, absolutely. Plus, we didn't have to walk for 19 miles wearing <laughs> stupid amounts of armour. Well, that's true. Yeah. Can we do it again tomorrow? <laughs> In the morning, Ben, Tony and Russell will begin their gruelling walk. But for now, they check their kit one last time and try to get some sleep. Just on our way to pick up uh, our guide, a really nice chap called Emiliano, and um, yeah, I just want to really just want to get underway. To be honest with you, just get get going now. I always feel indestructible at this point. Nothing can trouble me. The walk's going to be a doddle, and we're all going to have a really good time. And then after about five miles, I'm miserable as sin, but right now I feel great. Okay, well, tighter? Uh, that's all right, actually, I think. Tighter, Titus. Talk to us in 30 kilometres. Yeah. <laughs> but the weather's good. Yeah, it's yeah. not raining. It's, it's humid and it's quite warm. It's quiet because it's Sunday. No direct sunshine. Right, right, well. A Roman soldier was supposed to be able to march 20 miles in five hours. That's four miles an hour, and a Roman mile is very close to a, uh, an imperial mile. That's four miles an hour wearing four stone of kit. I can do four miles an hour for ten miles, um, and after that my speed drops considerably. If they are going to achieve their goal of 18 miles a day, they will have to maintain a steady speed of at least three miles an hour. Any let up in pace will mean that they won't reach their first marker by evening. Ben sets off at an impressive pace, but after just two miles into the walk, Russ is encountering problems. Take the sock off. Yeah, so that's mildly painful. At least it's high up, not low down like yeah. it was before. Yeah. Oh, look, it's bleeding, lovely. Yeah. Cheers. It's consistently happened when I was training, and you're sort of hoping against hope that you, these boots are going to wear in. And ironically, it's always been my left one that's been the, the worst, the worst one and today. The right one is gone. The Via Appia, or Appian Way, is one of the oldest and most important ancient Roman roads. Described by the first century poet Statius as the queen of the long roads, it connected Rome to Brindisi in southeast Italy. We're about six miles out from Capua. Um, we've had a bit of a rainstorm, so we're all a bit damp, uh, but we kept going. We've had some boot replacements, we just had to stop so that Ben can change out of his Roman boots because they were starting to trouble him. But the great thing is, we stop here for two minutes, a bunch of people come out, they feed us, we get strawberries and bananas and offers the water. And it's just lovely. It's really, it's really nice to be doing this in Italy and actually raising an interest. The trio are following the closest route they can to the original Via Appia, which is today a busy motorway. 
but despite following this minor road, the traffic is still perilous. By mid-afternoon, they have traveled a distance of 20 kilometers, keeping them on track. But now Russell is really struggling to keep going. How is it, Russ? That's pretty tough going, actually. Yeah. Oh, jeez, I'm sorry again. All right, Russ. Did he stop you? No, he... I don't know. I don't know what he did. My take on it is we should stop him, but he's not going to stop if we don't. That's really obvious. Yeah. Um, and as long as we can keep going and bring him along, I'd rather bring him along. Because otherwise, it's sort of... Who wants to be the one guy that drops out? Nobody wants that. Even if we go half the speed, we just need to keep moving. You get a bit of a second win once you're within... Once you see where you're going, yeah, great, you know, it, all the weight falls off you. But right now, it's a, yeah, it's going to be as bad as it gets. So Ben will go charging off, because Ben's still pretty fresh. I could go faster, except my feet are... <laughs> not in a good way. Right. That's it. So, you get a little bit of a picture of what it was like there. Now, we walked 20 miles in the first day, and what you didn't see in the end of that clip was the fact that I could barely walk um, by the end of the day. Now, it wasn't because of the distance we had walked. I had, I had done, as I told you, more than 300 miles of training in Britain before we went off. I was well used to doing the distance. Um, in 1998, though, when I worked as a large animal vet, I was stamped on by a bull one day, and very Stupidly, I wasn't wearing steel toe cap wellies, so the bull shattered one of my toes on my right foot, and he broke it across the joint, which caused me quite a lot of problems if I did a lot of exercise. Uh, and so in 2009, I had surgery on the foot, it made a lot of difference, and I can now hike pretty much as far as I like, except, as I found out, when I wear a four stone of armor. That seems to make the difference. So I'd started wearing an orthotic, uh, a little fitting inside my boot that, that kept the foot okay. And on that first day, it moved within my boot. And it's like half a ping pong ball, but much firmer. So if you can imagine that in the wrong place, on, on the, under the ball of your foot and you walk 20 miles on it wearing four stone of armor. My foot swelled up like a balloon and by the next morning I could barely walk. So here I was, second day of a 130 mile hike. I'd spent five months of training. I pretty much organized the whole thing and I couldn't actually take part. Um, people use the term devastated all, a lot nowadays. Well, I was, I was reasonably devastated. There were a few tears um, in private, and then I just thought, well, Russ and Tony are ready to keep going. You know, the show must go on. It is what it is, as we uh, coined the phrase. And so the, the two boys kept on walking, and I'll show you some more slides of what that was like before we reached the, uh, the Colosseum in Rome. So that's me on the morning uh, that I couldn't walk, pretty browned off looking, as you might imagine, um, laughing at the boys as they sweated in the, in, the, in the heat. We weren't able to follow the Via Appia in the end. It was too busy a road. It'd be like walking along the M4 while, um, while dressed as a Roman soldier. Not only would you get run over, but you'd cause a crash. So we took to small country roads, which were roughly parallel to the Via Appia. And there were the two boys walking along, 
But the people in Britain are usually quite used to seeing Roman soldiers, especially if you're anywhere near any kind of historical location. In Italy, however, outside Rome, they have not seen Roman soldiers, I expect, since about 2,000 years ago. So the reaction is of absolute incredulity. We have people going from 50 miles an hour to do an emergency stop and get out of their car, take pictures, ask us what we were doing. You're walking from Capua to Rome. 200 kilometers, dressed like this. Yes, for charity. And you could just see them thinking, you're totally insane. But they were very generous. Russ and Tony were forever being given water, wine, beer, people uh, wanting their photographs taken and so on. Beautiful Italian countryside, as you can see. The roads are running up through the Apennines, the mountains that run down the spine of Italy. Absolutely stunning scenery. We came on the fourth day to Monte Cassino, which you probably know, that picture. This is a, the scene of a particularly brutal battle in the campaign to take Italy in World War II. And between January and May 1944, there were four successive assaults by the Allies. The monastery defended by literally a few hundred German paratroopers and a few thousand elsewhere. And they held the position 50,000 Allied killed and injured, 20,000 German killed and injured. Absolutely terrible battle. So we visited the graveyard there, the Allied graveyard, more than 5,000 buried there. Like any of these World War I and World War II um, cemeteries, very, very tranquil, sad place. Incredible number of nationalities there. You've got British, Canadian, South African, New Zealanders, Australians. There were French, there were Polish, there were Russians, there were Indians, there were, there were guys from Cyprus and Hong Kong. It was just, and there were lots of women as well, actually. Uh, large numbers of uh, the graves of nurses and doctors who died, presumably from artillery shells. The next day, I put my kit on again. I thought, I'm going to try and walk. I'm here. My foot's injured, but I'm not going to give up. So we all, the weather was lovely and sunny, which is nice if you're a tourist. It's not nice if you're wearing four stone of armor. It makes it much harder. Within about two miles, I was back to this because my foot was so sore I couldn't walk. So Tony and Russ soldiered on. That day was about 23 degrees. Um, and as I just mentioned, that's, it makes it very hard to march with a lot of armor on. And we had to keep making sure they were getting plenty of water and keeping their sun cream on. You know, we're all white-skinned. It was the only time in my life I've ever dreamt of going to a tanning salon before I did something so that I didn't have white legs in the film. But my pride wouldn't let me, so forgive the white legs. The moment that work wasn't without its humorous moments, uh, that was an emergency toilet stop for the Centurion. Of course, the camera crew and we followed him at high speed. And if you concentrate below his tunic, you can just see his sexy Roman stripy boxer shorts, which are actually from Next. Um, we stopped in villages and towns and got handed babies to have our photographs taken with them. Tony was drinking a beer, and you can see he was busy trying to ruin that photograph for the unfortunate man whose baby it was. We were lucky enough to visit the tomb of Marcus Tullius Cicero, one of the most famous orators and politicians of the first century BC. He was a man, uh, in those days you built your tomb before you died. So this was built before his death, about 50 feet high on the side of the main road, like having your, gra your grave on the side of the M1. And it's 50 feet high, it can be seen for five miles in either direction, so you'll never be forgotten. But unluckily for him, he crossed Mark Antony, who had his head chopped off and presented in, that, in the Senate, in the House of Parliament, and he was then buried here. His tomb is still there. 
each day though, you can see that it resulted in the same thing. The body language says it all. You can't walk a huge distance every day in heat, wearing lots of armor without being exhausted. But by the sixth day, we had made it as far as uh, the outskirts of Rome. Now, next time you've gone, to, you're going to Rome, I encourage you strongly to go to the Via Appia Antica. In other words, the old Via Appia. The original longest Roman road. It led from Rome to Brindisium or Brindisi in the south of Italy. And there are still about eight miles of it. Sections of it are original Roman paving. So you can see wheel ruts that are that deep in stones. Obviously just 2,000 years old, just as they were. The, the road is lined with tombs, catacombs, aqueducts, and Roman ruins, and it's a national park, so there, there's almost no traffic. At the weekend, cars aren't allowed. Even on a weekday, there's almost no traffic, just people going for a run or a walk. It's along that route that Spartacus's men would have been crucified all the way from Capua to Rome, so it's, it's terribly atmospheric. It's a 15-minute bus ride from the center of Rome. Um, so what we'll do now is, um, before we watch the last clip, which is just a few minutes long, when we walked into the centre of Rome, uh, I was lucky enough, I'm lucky enough to know some Italian reenactors, and they lent us some spears for the end of the, for the walk, because um, I think this is the courier equivalent of leaves on the track. Uh, they, they shipped all our armour from Britain to Italy, but when we wanted the spears transported, they said they were too long. I said, your container is 40 feet long. Sorry, sorry, your, your spears are too long. So these Italian reenactors lent us some spears, and they decided on a Saturday morning that they would give up their time and come and meet us at the Roman gate where the Via Appia meets the old Roman walls, and they would march with us to the Colosseum. And that really made the end of the trip. <clears throat> so we'll just see that. But before we do, I'll just mention one thing about Sir Ian McKellen. He came into the recording studio, as I told you, and uh, you've probably seen the Lord of the Rings films. You may remember there's a scene in Fellowship of the Ring in Moria where he's standing on the bridge defying the Balrog, and he stamps his staff on the bridge and says, You shall not pass! Well, very mischievously, the film director put a line into the, into the film for Sir Ian to read, and he was reading through the whole thing before he did it. He was in the sound booth. We were all outside. And he read this line, and he just looked through the window like this at Phil Stevens, the director, on the other side of the glass. And Phil went... And Sir Ian, bless him, just went like this, and then he read it. So see if you can spot the line in the, in the film. Okay, so we can... The Eternal City. From the south they came. Three weary soldiers, injured, hungry, but not yet broken. Guarding their routes, the hardened men of the 13th Legion, guardians of the gates to Rome. true sons of the Roman army can enter the capital. Those that are found wanting shall not pass. <laughs> I 
Ben, Russell and Tony have been met at the Appian Gate by members of Italian-Roman reenactment group, the Legio 13th Gemina, who will march with them to the Colosseum. Coliseum with um, eight, eight Roman legionaries with us as an escort. Amazing. Great feeling. We're going to be in tourist picture albums all over the world. <laughs> to film in and around the Coliseum in Roman costume, officially you would need an expensive permit which the authors do not have. They have to quickly decide whether to enter and risk being stopped by the carabinieri or stop short of their final destination. It's, it's absolutely magic. There's a million cameras pointing at us. It's just so funny. And these guys are brilliant. Uh, this is everything, this is more than I hoped it would be. It's absolutely magic. Part of such a unique spectacle brings the donations flooding in. Yes. 
been a hard challenge. I didn't think I was going to make it after the first day, but that's uh, Emili. Uh, but Centurion Tony here dragged me through by my straps of my helmet or my shield straps and uh, got me over the line. So pretty grateful to Mr. Riches over here. Uh, it's great with the Italian boys to march us in. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, overwhelmed. Yeah, we had a great reaction from everybody here. It's been wonderful walking in with um, Italian comrades who've come to meet us. Official entry to Rome, and yeah, yeah, we've done it. I've never had my photograph taken so much in my whole life. <laughs> you used the word euphoric about half an hour ago. Uh, I think euphoric fits it. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's just hysterically funny. There are still so many cameras pointing at us. So yeah, all great fun. I'm really happy. Okay, thank you for that. So uh, I hope those clips gave you a little feel of what our walk was like. I'm proud to say that when everything was totted up at the end, we had raised more than £26,500 for combat stress and medicines on Frontier. We've been trying to get the film onto TV uh, over the last few months, and we've had some interest, but nothing concrete as yet. And we are entering the film into film festivals around the UK, so keep an eye out for that if you like that kind of thing. As for another walk, well, we're giving it a break this year. Training and raising money and, and walking takes up a lot of time, and all three of us have books to write. And as Tony and Rusk always like to tell me, they have real jobs. Uh, however, we are talking about doing another walk next year, perhaps an abbreviated version of Hannibal's march from Spain to Italy over the Alps. So if any of you can supply an elephant, you're welcome to apply. Thank you very much. So if any of you have any questions, you may not, but if you do, we've got a roving mic, so put your hand up and the mic will find you. And then following that, I'll be around there signing books if you are interested. Any questions? This gentleman yeah, a question. I'm coming to you, sir. Just a second. We want to hear your question. We literally have time for just literally a couple of questions. Here you go, sir. Um, thank you for the talk. Very interesting. Uh, where did you source your uh, equipment from? Where did I source my equipment from? Good question. I didn't have time to talk about that. Uh, from all over the place. So the breast and back plate are made by a bronze worker in Spain, hand beaten, 300 quid. The boots are made by someone who makes historically tested footwear in Gloucestershire, 300 quid. That's made in India, 150 quid. The mail is made in India. If that was made here, it would be 1,000. It was 500 quid. Uh, the helmets from India... Bits, belts are from the UK. I've got a Smith-made sword coming to me next month, 300 quid. But lovely, lovely, basically all over the place. Any other questions? Thank you. Any I think if, you, if you've got any more questions, actually, because Ben's going to be nipping next door now right. to do signings. If you want to any, buy any of his copies of his books or if you have any further questions, you can just pop next door to Stanford's just around the corner um, and they can see Ben there. Right. Ben Kane, everybody, wasn't he fantastic? Thank you. We'll be blogging and posting recordings of all the events live each day, so check back for more.